All right. You have a cold open for us today. I do. Uh, I read a book. What book? Uh, it's a book you mentioned a couple of episodes back. It's called Unhinged. Oh, yes. By Vera Valentine. And uh, it's about a door who turns into, a, as I think you put it, a real boy. Yeah. Uh, I assume it's a it's a sexy man is actually what. Oh yeah, he is. Into. Yeah, he's he's hot. Uh, he's a hunk. His name is Driss, I think. Um, okay. So here here's here's why I'm reporting. <laughs> <laughs> not not just to you know close the loop um, and prove to people that I do know how to read. Though I guess I could be making it up. It's only seventy one pages, so don't give me too much credit. But. It, it it has a tie into our show. There okay. is a, uh, a, a one obvious classical connection and one uh, intertextual elusive connection that I'm going to draw. Oh, okay, great. So I, I can't wait to hear it. I mean, first of all, warning: uh, there are spoilers in this, and second of all, also warning: you know, we're going to talk about in this episode generally sexual violence, rape. Um, and in the case of unhinged, scary, murderous creeps. Mm-hmm. So in this book, right, it's about the door. Or it's from the perspective of the door. Mm-hmm. And the door uh, is in love with the woman who lives in the apartment right. that he's the door to. And the, 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 like, the super for the apartment is like this creepy guy. And he actually killed a woman. And the door saw it. Because the door can look both ways. So he's kind of like Janus, yeah. right? The the god of doors. Um, there's a, there's a great scene with Janus uh, in the beginning of Ovid's Fosti. That isn't the the intertext I'm making. So but, we got we get an extra one. A yeah, bonus one. yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I wonder if if uh, Miss Valentine has a classical background because there's a lot going on here. Uh, so maybe we'll maybe we'll reach out to her. But the door sees both ways, and he watches the girl, which is a little bit creepy because he does like. You know, she's naked and stuff, and he's watching her. But it's also an erotic novel. And he loves her, but he wants to protect her from this creepy guy. And the creepy guy, like, goes into her apartment when she's not there. Mm-hmm. And eventually he's going to – he poisons her food, and he's, like, going to, you know, presumably kill her. You know, kill her, assault her, maybe not in that order. Um, and so the door's like, I wish I could do something because he's sentient. This guy then shows up, walks down the hallway, and it, it, it he's not explicitly named, but it's Zeus. <laughs> Zeus saunters up to him and is like, listen, Dor, um, Hera is making me, you know, sort of help women out because I, you know, assaulted a lot of people over the years. And the door, as it turns out, is actually f- grew, he came from a tree that grew out of an acorn that is somehow had sex with Zeus. So there's like a divine, you know, that mm-hmm. explains why the door is sentient. Right. Um, but yeah, then the door goes and he talks to the girl in a dream and says, uh, listen, I want to protect you. If you have sex with me, I will become a real boy. And she does. And he does. Um, and eventually he, 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 he stops the, the creepy guy. Does she get a new door? Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole thing, and he actually turns back into a door when he gets shot at one point. Uh, oh, wild! <laughs> but every yeah, but but and that will happen once a month. But as long as she has sex with him once a month, he'll turn back into a real boy um, for a month, and he'll turn back to a door. Then she'll have to have sex with the door again. So it's 
I think the logic holds pretty. Yeah, no, there. it's uh, no, no, no qualms there. So the the intertext is, you know, it's this door, it's a sentient door. He's the protector, and it made me think of my favorite genre of Latin poetry, Latin elegy, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know sometimes described as love poetry. It's not really about that. Um, it's you know it, it's about sort of creepy poet lovers mythologizing and fantasizing about girlfriends that aren't real. But there's this thing, there's this this, this set scene um, in Latin poetry, we also see it a little bit in Greek poetry, where the lover basically is trying to get, you know, he's trying to get a booty call, a late night booty call. He's out with his friends at a symposium. He gets shit-faced, he gets drunk, he wanders through the streets, and he's like, I want to get me some. So he then goes to his girlfriend's door and sort of mopes outside the door and is like, let me in, let me in, let me in. Um, this is a whole thing called the, uh, the Paraclausitheron or the Exclusis mm-hmm. Amator, the locked out lover. Um, and so it's normal to, for the, this, this drunk lover to be outside sort of trying to get to his girlfriend. You know, let me in, let me in. And for various reasons, she either can't let him in or she doesn't want to let him in. She has another boyfriend um, with her at the time or something. But some of these, these poets... Uh, play on it right and they so they actually talk to the door and instead of saying oh girlfriend let me in they say oh you stupid door you know let me through mm-hmm. uh Tobolus does this in poem uh one two i think uh propertius does this in poem 116 ovid plays with it in amores one six where he talks mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. the janitor so it, it just reminded me of that that now we've sort of flipped it from the lover trying to get to the girlfriend but is stopped by the door. Now the door is the protector. So, you know, I'm not going to say the super is this like creepy romantic poet guy. Cause he's not, uh, <laughs> but there's just that, you know, there's a, maybe it's, maybe I'm over thinking this, but no, I love it. I love it. And I, I appreciate you doing, doing the hard work for our listeners and going and and doing your due diligence and reading. This Somebody book. had to, yeah. it's on it. It's on the, Kindle Unlimited, so it was free. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's perfect. But 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 Miss Valentine got paid, so uh, yeah. So that's my that's my book report. But now I can welcome everybody back to the All Roads Podcast. Where we talk about doors having sex with people. And the Greeks and the Romans. And the Greeks and the Romans. And Percy Jackson. And Percy Jackson. We're your hosts, Dr. Sam Kindick. And Sam Hahn. And today we do want to talk about Medusa. I think we mentioned that we were going to talk about Medusa. We did. Before, right? Because there's a scene in Percy Jackson, in in the, the first Percy Jackson, right? The Lightning Thief, where Percy and Annabeth and Grover... You know, early, pretty early in their adventure, find themselves um, at this this garden emporium, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's not actually a garden emporium. Uh, it's not uh, actually Auntie M's garden gnome emporium. It's actual. Well, I guess it is. It's a garden center. Right. You can't you can buy people who have been turned into stone and put them in your gardens. Yes, and they've been turned into stone by Auntie M. Auntie M is Medusa. Right. The legendary, I was going to say goddess, but she's not a goddess. Legendary yeah. monster of yeah. Greek myth. Um, and it's a complicated myth. It's an interesting myth 
And as sort of a case study, it's a myth, I think, that speaks to a lot of sort of the things that we've been talking about mm-hmm. so far on this show and sort of the way that myth can be reimagined, repurposed. Stories can change, versions can change, um, and meaning can can change over time. Right. So I thought we'd talk about Medusa a little bit today. Please. I was I think this is actually one of the the, the early stories that drew me into classics. Okay. Um in the that 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 book that I think we both read when we were a kid, Delaire's Greek Myths. Yeah. I remember this full page illustrated uh image of of uh, Perseus and his mom in this like floating box. But we'll get back. We'll get get to that in a second. <laughs> um we'll we'll talk about the story in a second. But I think Medusa is interesting because Medusa is many things to many people, right? For the Greeks, she was a monster, um, though she's later reimagined as the victim of rape. Mm-hmm. Later cultures, well, actually, later uh, Greeks and later Romans tried to sort of rationalize who she was. Maybe she was just you know a woman, and this is this whole allegorical thing. Um, we can talk about that, but. You know, for example, to to Freud, right? She was this. Uh, she was a nest of penises, right? Instead of instead of having snakes for hair, she had penises for hair, um, right? Dante uh, representing, you know, the way a lot of people have read this story. Some do says this threat to men, mm-hmm. right? And and this is there's a there's a whole feminist reading um, that Medusa is the the sort of the victim, not just of of rape, but sort of the victim of the male gaze, the patriarchal gaze. Um, and what we think we see is not what's actually there. Uh, in my research, I found that there's a, there's a sushi roll Some, somewhere, <laughs> in, somewhere. In, this, I mean, we're jumping all over, but somewhere at Disney world, at some point there was a sushi roll called the Medusa sushi roll. I guess because the, the Nori kind of looks like a snake in, in roll form. I don't know. I think uh, this might be a sponsorship opportunity or maybe a research trip. Uh, yeah. Dear dear listeners, let us know if you've had the Medusa role at Disney World. Is, is there a Medusa in Disney's Hercules? That's a good question. I don't actually know. Yeah, that might be that might be the reason. But there's also, in the, have you seen the show The Masked Singer? Uh, I've seen clips, yeah. Yeah, I believe currently, and I could be, you know, I don't know uh, when exactly this episode is going to air and when exactly the finale is, but I believe one of the singers is Medusa. Okay. So we've come from a, you know, a, a, a mythical, mythical monster who, who kills people by just looking at them. Mm-hmm. And she's this, this apotropaic figure. Um, you know, people use the image of Medusa, the ward away evil to, right to being a sushi roll uh, at a family resort and being a character on a singing competition. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think of all of the monsters of Greek mythology, probably people are most familiar with Medusa. And again, we'll get into how her myth originated and was adapted and how it's been received through the ages. But, you know, the thing that everyone knows is that she turns people into stone. But, I don't think there's a lot of context. I don't know that most people could tell you who killed Medusa or why she was killed in the first place. People know that she was killed and that if you look on her face, um, you become petrified. Um, so you think 
you think that we see all these Medusas, you know, in sushi rolls and on the mass singer because she's a recognizable figure rather than a relatable figure or yeah i i think that's why like the imagery is so striking and again the imagery is something you know ancients love to depict like there are so many different representations of medusa in greek mosaics and you know carvings in in greece and whatnot and as you said right there's a way to ward off evil right this kind of like you know the her visage is one that you know is destructive and so putting it up scares away you know whatever sort of evil spirit evil force that you want to keep out of your home or something like that but again you know the iconography is iconic right snakes his hair is is very visually striking and is immediately recognizable um again because you you just you just know when you you see it like you know medusa um yeah and that's it's it's also the logo of the versace fashion house which I don't. Do you know why that they've chose that as their logo? I do. Oh, why? I do. Uh, well, what what Gianni Versace said uh, at one point, um, right? He's now dead, but uh, it was, you know, she 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 petrifies people, but she's she's basically sort of stunning you with her beauty, right? You you huh. sort of stops you in your tracks. You look at it and you're like, wow, that is beautiful. That is stunning i mean i think the word stunning you, you get this right the freezing sense so it's not a destructive deadly gaze but it's a powerful gaze that sort of stops you in your tracks interesting you know i mean medusa wasn't always considered beautiful in you know uh antiquity and i, I think it's your boy ovid who is the one who makes medusa famously beautiful is am i am i correct I don't know. We'll we'll get there. Let's not get ahead of ourselves okay. here because, yeah, Ovid does change the story, but I don't. We'll have to look this up. I don't think Ovid says she's beautiful. Oh, okay. He makes her the object of desire. Okay. But I'm not sure she's beautiful. I think that might come later as an explanation. Okay. So the first the first glimpse we get of Medusa, if we can do sort of a you know, an archaeology of Medusa. The first, is it, yeah, so the first glimpse we get, I guess we can look at her, she just can't look at us. Um, the first mention we get of Medusa um, comes in, you know, early archaic poetry. Yeah, Hesiod, yet again. Hesiod, I know, we keep this, we should just call this the Hesiod show. Yeah, I know. Once we get out of doing just mythology, Hesiod will become less relevant, But but here he is again giving us a first glimpse. I don't know. When we look at, and this is something in the works, if we can sort of pull the curtain back briefly, you know, looking at some of the, uh, the, the love affairs of Julius Caesar, you don't think he's, is going to be like a primary source there. Well, uh, maybe he might. So the earliest Medusa we get, uh, comes from, from Hesiod that we also have mention of Medusa in the Odyssey, mm-hmm. um, in, in Homer's Odyssey. But, what we learn about Medusa, right? We we learn in this in the Theogony, um, sort of her lineage, um, and she's she's old. She's an old goddess. She's an early goddess, mm-hmm. yeah. And all of her siblings are monsters. So you know the 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 gray eye, the gray ones, 
who play a role in the story of Percy and Medusa. Um, triplets. They're the sisters. Medusa herself is a triplet. Um, mm-hmm. She's got two sisters, though they're immortal. And she is mortal. And she's mortal, which is interesting. We can come back to that. Um, but the dragon who guards the Hesperides, the mother of the Cyclops, Polyphemus, who we'll talk about when we talk about the second Percy Jackson book. Mm-hmm. Um, Scylla, the monster Scylla, um, who eats sailors in the Odyssey. If you've read Madeline Miller's Circe, uh, you're very familiar with the story of Scylla. Um, have you read Have you read Circe or, or the, the Song of Achilles? Uh, I started both of them. I did. I did not finish them. They're though. good. Maybe we'll. Maybe we'll talk about. Uh, I've told you this before, books. but every time I start reading Madeline Miller, I just want to go back and actually read the Iliad or the Odyssey. And so that's usually what I found myself doing: is starting Madeline Miller and then just switching over to Homer. Um, What's well, I mean? That's great. It's a gateway, um, yeah. and you can do both. You can exactly. do both, Sam. Um, she's also Medusa is the uh, the sister of Echidna. Right, and I think wasn't Echidna right the scary monster Echidna, a Chihuahua, in the Percy Jackson book? I think so. Right when he's about to yeah, go up, yeah, like yeah. in the the arch in St. Louis, there's like a yeah, 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 Echidna right. dog. Yes. So uh, there's a connection there within the Percy Jackson world. But what's important? I think there's sort of two things that are important here. The first is that in this earliest version, and because it shows up in Heezy, because it shows up in Homer, this tells us this is an older story. Right. This wasn't, you know, right. they weren't inventing these things. Right. They were writing down um, pre existing stories. So the story of Medusa is old. We don't know how old. Um, people have connected archaeologists, archaeologists, like my wife. Uh, archaeologists have, you know, have looked at images of Medusa and connected her to um, the Egyptian god Bess um, mm. or to Mesopotamian. Um, gods, right? The demon in Gilgamesh, right, mm-hmm. is, is depicted mm-hmm. very similar to Medusa. Um, so she's an old figure, and in this early version, she's a monster, right? Her sisters are monsters. Her siblings are monsters. Mm-hmm. Some of the most famous monsters in myth are her relatives. So she's conceived of as a monster. I think that's clear. The fact that she's mortal when her sisters are immortal—that's weird. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that indicates that, you know, she's going to die. Because um, uh, if she was immortal, she couldn't die. But the other thing that's interesting, um, and we'll come back to this in a few minutes, is that she represents the old generation of gods, mm-hmm. right? The descendants of Gaia. And we've talked about this in the context of the Titans and the Olympians, right? Percy Jackson, just like much of Greek myth, is about the new generation. Mm-hmm. And so when Percy Jackson defeats Medusa, right? Percy is a son of Poseidon. He is the younger generation generation killing the older generation in the same way that Perseus, the hero son of Zeus is killing the older generation. So it's another theme that we've seen again and again in Greek mm-hmm. myth, this sort of intergenerational Violence, and of course, it's always the newer generation who wins, right? So that's sort of the earliest Medusa. Uh, we get other versions of Medusa later. Ovid, right? My boy Ovid, mm-hmm. the greatest poet uh, ever, in his Metamorphoses, right, which is a book all about transformations, right? Literally, mm-hmm. Metamorphoses. 
um, we get this explanation. Um, there's this focus on, on, on Perseus in books four and five, but at the very end of book four, we finally get a description of Medusa. And Ava tells us that Medusa was raped by Poseidon in a temple of Athena. Mm-hmm. And Athena, of course, who's a virgin goddess, um, so it's particularly offensive um, to be raped in the temple of a virgin goddess. I mean, obviously rape, bad. Rape in a temple, double bad. But rape in the temple of a virgin goddess, triple bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Athena is furious. And so Athena then turns Medusa into this monster. More on that. But it's Ovid who changes the story. Mm-hmm. Right. You mentioned Medusa being beautiful. And I think for that, we have to go to Apollodorus, who oh, writes okay. this sort of collection of myths. Right, He's sort of one of the first collectors of myth. I mean, Ovid is one of them too. But Apollodorus says that one of the reasons that Athena turned her into this, this monster, this scary man-killing monster, is that she rivaled Athena in beauty. Hmm. So I think that's where the... That's an interesting that's an interesting piece too, because I don't really think of Athena as being someone who is especially concerned with her beauty. No, I would agree with you. But I think it does speak to the nature of the gods. Maybe we can circle back to this, the sort of what I see as a sort of misreading of a lot of mythological texts. Sure. So that's that's Medusa. But of course, the story has two sides. Though if you did want, for example, to, to, to focus on the story of Medusa, some people, there's been sort of modern retellings of this. Um, Hannah Lynn's Athena's Child, for example, focuses on the story. It's the story of Medusa from the perspective of Medusa. Um, it's interesting. I had my students last year read mythic retellings, and this was a book that a lot of my students read and enjoyed but on the other side of the story right is 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 perseus and i think that maybe maybe you disagree because you're the hesiod guy i mean she she shows up as this monster and hesiod but i think that she sort of fits into greek mythology only because she's killed by a hero does do, do monsters exist to be defeated by heroes or can they exist sort of in a vacuum? I mean, I feel like that's kind of the impossible question to answer. I think there part of it is, you know, when you look through Hesiod, you see so many names of so many monsters and gods and whatnot. And there are lots that you recognize from other stories, but there are plenty others that, that aren't all that familiar. And are they not familiar to us because so much of ancient writing has been lost to us. So much of ancient stories are no longer available to us where they, you know, being consumed by the culture and other contexts or did they uh, exist in a vacuum where this is, this is the genealogy, but you know, not every branch on the tree is connected to, to a famous hero and that's okay. You know? Yeah. I, I feel like it's kind of an impossible question to to answer just just because of our lack of just evidence on this matter but 
I think it is a fair point to say, right, these monsters, right, these monsters didn't actually exist, obviously. And so, <laughs> so I don't know good. about that. Um, you know, you know, so why, why do we have these story? Why do we have to explain where these um, ideas, these, you know, monsters come from if they're not attached to some sort of story because they are mythological right so there is also that piece so i i assume that most of these are attached to some sort of mythological tradition or you know in the hesiod's case like you've said you know i mean we have all of these other you know collectors of myth and a lot of what hesiod is doing is also collecting myth into kind of or you know represent representing a collection of myth right a lot of what we have in hesiod comes from Mesopotamia, Egypt, like, like a lot of these stories are not, you know, original to the Greeks. They're coming, they're coming into the culture because of, there's all this cross pollination happening during the bronze age. Um, so I don't know. Did that answer your question? I, I assume, I assume that at one point, all of these monsters had a mythology attached to them, whether or not there was a hero killing them or not. But we may have, we may have easily lost that. And that may have happened even before the Greeks uh, put it down um, on paper. Yeah. I think that not only answers my question, but it also poses more <laughs> complicated questions, sure. right? Sure. Uh, and this, I mean, this is, I guess the nature, I mean, it's, I guess that's the question, right? It says, what's the purpose of myth? I mean, and that's not something we can go into because I'm not that smart anyway but and, and we have limited time we have limited let's time. give ourselves a little bit of credit yeah yeah we gotta get my son to soccer practice i also like your point uh about hesiod being a collector of myth uh because i think we often you know think i mean yes we know that hesiod was this you know compiler of you know he wasn't making this material up right he was getting it from right the oral tradition, but he was still a compiler of myth. I was just reading uh, earlier today online, a a rant that someone had made on Reddit about how uh, in in doing research for this episode, um, Reddit is a primary source. No, Um, (laughs) I was trying to figure something out that uh, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out, but it led me to Reddit and people were complaining about the story of Medusa and how Ovid's version wasn't, the real version because the real version was Hesiod's. Huh. And I, I think that's not right. No. Uh, I don't think right. there's a right version and a wrong version. Exactly. But also Hesiod wasn't the first version. I mean, it's the first no. one we have. Right. But uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's an important thing to remember that all myth is, is sort of only exists in a responsive compilation form. Yeah. Um, even when you get mentions of it, I mean, it's, it's not, you're not recording the initial, there is no initial version. Right. So all that's to say, um, that Medusa is complicated, but she is, whether, you know, it was sort of her fate, uh, in the eyes of Hesiod or early Greeks that she'd be killed. It seems like she, I mean, Hesiod knows the story of Medusa being killed by Percy, mm-hmm. Perseus. Um, and the fact that uh, she's mortal when her sisters are immortal, I think is also um, mm-hmm. lets us know that. But Hesiod tells us that Perseus kills Medusa. Um, and he's her decapitator, right? We could 
say yeah. fancy words like that. I also love this is this is just a random side note, but I do love in the commentaries they note that when Hesiod uses the word to decapitate, he means, you know, to cut off cleanly at the neck. But when Homer uses the word, he means to stab through the neck. Um, so there you go. There's a little fun tidbit. The different usages of the same word by people of the same period to refer to different ways of cutting around the, the jugular area. This is literally the work that classes do professionally. This is it's amazing. True. This is like <laughs> how, how fortunate um, are we to be able to study the ancient world? And people are like, oh, are you doing your, your homework? Are you and you're like, yeah, I'm studying different ways of describing cutting someone's head off. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. So um, the story of Perseus is interesting. Because he is, uh, you know, one of the most well-known heroes. Uh, there's, there's no, uh, it's, it's not an accident that Perseus Jackson uh, is named Perseus, right? He's named after the right. hero Perseus, and of course, in the world of Percy Jackson, uh, Perseus was a hero, right? They're, they're, he's not replacing Perseus Jackson in the same way. And this is one of the things I really liked about. Um, what uh, we see in the Percy Jackson world, all the all the monsters come back to life. Mm-hmm. So Medusa was killed by Perseus, but then she was also killed again by Percy Jackson. Same mm-hmm. Medusa, same monster, but just in sort of a different cycle of, right. of, of heroic time. Um, but the story of, of, of Percy, Perseus, I'm going <laughs> to keep doing this. Uh, the story of Perseus not Jackson, Perseus, uh, hero, um, starts in the, the, the city of Argos, which is like one of the oldest cities, mm-hmm. um, in the Greek world. Very um, important city in mythology. Yes. Yeah. It's in the Northeast of the, the Peloponnese. Um, he is, uh, well, he's not born yet. It starts before he's born as all good stories do. Um, the King was, a, was, was a guy called Acrisius and he had a twin brother named, uh, Proetus. And like all brothers, where one is the king and one is not the king, the one who is not the king wants to be the king. Um, but this guy didn't just want to be the king. He also wanted to have sex with his brother's daughter, which is his niece. So, mm, yes, yeah, I mean, incest, like Greek mythology, also Game of Thrones, right? There's plenty of places. Sure. Yeah. Um so they fight the civil war. The guy who's king, you know, wins. The status quo is remain, you know, remains. Um, the other guy has to leave. Um, but Acrisios learns that his daughter, whose name is Danae, um, she's going to give birth to a son who's going to kill him. Right? There's this, you know, again, this is a, a prophecy that you know repeats. Uh, it happens a lot, and of course, you can't you can't beat prophecies. Um, look at Oedipus. Right. Yeah. Look at look at all of the the oracles. To you know, prophecies always come true. Oracles always come true. Except and not one. always. Oh, that's true. Except the except the, one, the Zeus one. The Zeus Metis one. Yeah. Um, but exactly, and never in the way that you usually expect. Yeah, and this one actually has a funny ending. Uh, well, maybe not funny, but <laughs> I mean, the guy dies. Uh, <laughs> but, spoiler. Um, I didn't see that coming based on the prophecy. <laughs> yeah. But you know you gotta you gotta try to stop it, right? I mean, it's, you know you can't. You know, obviously this guy hadn't read 
uh, his Oedipus yet. Uh, he didn't study his Greek myths. He didn't know you couldn't beat the fate, but you got to try. So he takes his daughter and he he locks her up in a chamber, right? Either underground or sometimes in a, in a tower. So if she's locked up, she can't get knocked up. Um, that's the idea. But she does. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people who try to justify things say that he knocked her up. Uh, he had sex with his own daughter. But most people think it's Zeus, right? So, you know, you can you look at it two ways. Uh, but it's probably Zeus, you know, well, probably. Most versions, <laughs> most versions say it's Zeus. Um, but how did Zeus get in? Uh, he got to her through a golden shower, which means something different today than it meant uh, okay. in antiquity. Uh, yeah. Or Kelly. <laughs> Anyway, um, yikes! So, so Zeus rains down his warm goldenness onto her and impregnates her, and so Danae gets 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 pregnant. His dad or her dad is like, "Oh no, she's pregnant. That son's gonna kill me." He doesn't want to kill his own daughter, so he locks her up in a box and throws her in the ocean. And this brings us back to that illustration. Yes, yeah, in the uh, the Dolores. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's there are lots of beautiful full page illustrations in that book, but that's the one that I always think of. I don't know. I just I think I. Just, that's funny. Okay, I like the story, um, but it's also. I mean, this is another thing we see throughout um, myth and even throughout history. Scarily enough, this idea of locking somebody up. How do you kill somebody without killing somebody? Uh, you lock them in a box and throw them in the ocean, option one. Or in the case of, say, Antigone, right? Going back to the family of Oedipus, mm-hmm. right? Creon locks Antigone up in you know, a cave. You give him some food. You give him some water and say, good luck. The Romans locked up Vestal virgins when they were no longer virgins. Um, buried them in, inside of the walls. And you do this so that, yeah, you, you have sort of plausible deniability. Well, it wasn't me who killed them. I gave them, you know, right. I gave them a loaf of bread and a <laughs> glass of water and then locked them up in this chamber. Right. Um, I, guess the, I guess the idea is if the gods really like them, they won't die. And if they do die, then they probably deserved it. Right. There are lots of examples of this in various forms. Yeah. Like lots of, you know children being left out, you know, to die of exposure and then being raised by a shepherd or wolves mm-hmm. or something like that and becoming a great hero that they are always foundlings. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll tackle the, the story of foundlings sometime. Cause that's an interesting one too. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Danai is, is, is thrown into this chest with little baby Perseus. Um, and guess what? They don't die. <laughs> um, they, they wash ashore, um, on an Island um, and there they are rescued by a, a fisherman, right? This is the island of Seraphos. Um, and they're rescued by a fisherman named Addictus, um, who, who protects the two of them. Meanwhile, the fisherman also has a brother. There's always brothers. The fisherman's brother is the king, that called Polydictus. And Polydictus wants to marry Danae. And... You know he's he's gonna do just that because he's the king. Perseus doesn't like his potential stepdad, so if this is starting to sound like Percy Jackson, 
uh, there is a parallel there with Gabe Ugliano. <laughs> and so he's going to get married to uh, Danae, and Perseus seems like he has kind of anger management issues. And uh, the king says, you know, for my wedding, I want some horses. Give me some horses. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to give you horses. I'm going to give you... And he's like, you know, searching in his mind for something. I don't know, offensive, impossible, crazy, bombastic. The head of Medusa. And he's like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, you do that. You go get me the head of Medusa. So I imagine Perseus then sort of turns around and shoves his hands in his pockets and sort of kicks the dirt. And he's like, oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Now I got to go. Now I got to go. And so he goes off, right? He sails off to to get Medusa, but he gets help, right? I mean, these heroes get help. And his helper is Athena. And people say, why Athena? Well, it was Athena in Ovid's version who turns, turns Medusa into this monster. For me though, I think Athena helps. I mean, we can't know this. Athena helps Perseus. I think Ovid is giving us an explanation. Why? Ovid is creating mm. – Ovid creates the rape story um, as a way of explaining why Athena helps Perseus. She hates Medusa. That's my theory. Anyway. Mm. Okay. But the, the parallels to Percy Jackson continue, which is not surprising because, again, this is all about Perseus. And though I think – you know, and we can argue this, there's, there's more of a – I think structurally the the Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey, is probably a more important model for sure. the adventures of Percy and Annabeth and Grover. Right. Very awful, episodic. Yeah. There's a lot of uh there's a lot of Perseus there as well. Um and so he has to get certain gear, right? You can't just go and kill um you can't just go and kill Medusa. Right. Because first of all, people don't know where she is. And second of all, how do you sneak up on a monster who turns you to stone when, when you look at them or when they look at you? An iPod touch. Is that what he uses? No, I think that's in the movie, though. Oh. Well, we'll watch the movie and we'll Yeah, I'm excited, I'm excited to see the movie, which, again, famously Uncle Rick hates. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll bring that to it as well. No, but yeah, you need a reflective surface because just like the basilisk in Harry Potter, so long as you don't look directly at her, you're okay. Don't even get me started on Harry Potter. <laughs> I could talk forever. Um, so he gets he gets some special items. Um, he gets uh, this this polished shield from Athena, right? It's mm-hmm. highly polished, so he could look exactly at the reflection of Medusa. I've always wondered what highly polished meant to the ancients. Cause a lot of times there's just like shi- shiny brass. Yeah. Um, which is not the most reflective right. surface. Um, but that's what, I mean, that's what mirrors were. Ancient mirrors were just right. Exactly. Yeah. That's my thought though. It's just like, a mat, like when we think of it, we think of a mirror, but when they're thinking of it, I feel like it's much grainier. And oh much yeah. Worse version oh yeah. Of it's not, yeah, surface. it's not, it's not eight, eight K. No, um, no, no, no. Yeah. And like, I mean, I guess it's it's polished, you know. It's it's a fine, finely wrought shield. Right. But of course, you know, before he gets to the you know the island, he's got to you know spit on it and 
you know, wipe it with his sleeve or something. Because all this traveling is going to get grimy. And, right, exactly. Um, so he gets this shield from um, Athena. And he gets from Hermes a sickle, an adamantine sickle. Um, which makes me then think about Kronos. Yeah. Uh, castrating, castrating, yeah, Uranus, which is interesting. It's interesting he gets us from from Hermes, um, but he also gets a couple other things. He gets a thing called a, a cabesis, which is often translated as a wallet, <laughs> uh, where where he has to put the head right because you can't just you can't just carry it around because it's right. going to turn everything to stone. Uh, so he gets like a cool wallet, you know, like a duct tape wallet or something to like put the head in. I mean, it's like some sort of backpack, I guess. Yeah, like a drawstring bag sort of thing. Um, a bag of holding, maybe. But he also gets some other things, which tell me if they sound familiar to you. Uh, he gets from Hades the uh, the helmet that makes you invisible. And he gets um, the winged sandals um, of, of Hermes. So these are both objects that make their appearance in Percy right. Jackson. Um, so they both play a major role in the story, and they're important tools for Percy, yeah. um, just like they are for Perseus. Uh, of course, the you know the the wing sandals are like uh, Luke's like are they like Converse All Stars or something that like fly around or something like something that. like yeah. that. Yeah, um, but again, a, a trick and a yeah. trap in in Percy Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not so here. But armed with all this stuff, so all the gods are teaming up. And again, I think we might see a intergenerational thing because sure. they are the children of Zeus, Hermes and uh, Athena, which means that they're the half, the half siblings of Perseus. Um, Hades, of course, would be Perseus's uncle, um, Zeus's brother. But he goes, then he's got to find out where she is. And so he has to catch up with these other three sisters, the triplet siblings of Medusa and her Gorgon sisters, right? The, uh, the Gryi. Mm-hmm. And these, th- these women show up in Percy Jackson as well, right? There's three of them, and they have one eye, and they have one tooth. Mm-hmm. And they have to trade them back and forth, right? They're, they're driving a taxi cab in Percy Jackson. <laughs> Um, and you know, the only way you can get them to give you accurate information is to steal the tooth and steal the eye. Um, so Perseus does that. So again, we've, you know, more sort of stuff that's not necessarily connected to the story of Medusa in Percy Jackson, but it's there. And so he goes and, you know, he, he kills her. Um, that part's less exciting. And then, you know, he's got this head and, you know, in, in a lot of the myths, he, he rescues um, uh, a princess or not a princess. I guess she is a princess. Yeah. Uh, Andromeda uh, from a sea monster. But eventually he gets home and, you know, he gets back and his, his new stepdad is like, oh, you know, look who's came home. And he's like, check this out. And he holds up the, the head of Medusa and it turns into stone. Mm-hmm. Which has a parallel, of course. Yeah. Gabe. Gabe right? Ugliano. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, I mean, it, it's not Perseus who does it, though, right? right? It's Percy's mom. Which is more fitting in, in, in Percy Jackson, of course. Is it okay, though, right? She just straight murders no, this dude. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, 
I feel like that's sort of glossed over. Listen, I'm not a I'm not a Gabe apologist. <laughs> no one but, is, but but I'm also like, I don't dude. know. Should you be turned into a statue? Like, I don't know. That's yeah. kind of cruel, but you know, it is it is you know a, a fitting end, I suppose. That's interesting. There's also there's also a little bit of um, you know in in Greek mythology this idea of like one's outward appearance reflects the quality of your character, right? Gabe is ugly, which reflects his cruelty and mm-hmm. his kind of wicked nature. Yeah. Which again, I don't love. I always, you know, I always feel uncomfortable about that, especially when he gets picked up. But again, that is a classic, you know, in Greek mythology commonly, right? Who Who's the bad guy? Well, who's the ugly one? Yep. That'll, that'll tell you who the bad guy is. Um, and that does hold true in, in Percy Jackson. Um, as well. So, you know, in Greek mythology, they would say this is, of course, a fitting end for Gabe because we knew he was bad from the start. Um, yeah. Considering how ugly he is. I just, you know, in a book that uh, is very careful to describe how mortals can't be harmed by, you know, the monsters and sure. the, the weapons, even though uh, Luke, right? Luke has a sword that kills mortals and monsters. Right. Um, he's a bad guy, but I don't know. It just, it was just very casual, right? That and then she just like killed him. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and then she sold him, right? Yeah. It made uh, a bunch of money. It made a bunch of money. So she could go to, uh, like get an MFA or something. I don't know. That, that just always like struck me. It's like, yeah, he's like not a good guy. Right. But he served a purpose, right? Wasn't the whole idea that he, he smelled really bad. So yeah. monsters couldn't. So he like, he was helping Percy. Um, in in his own way. I mean, he was a, he was a douchebag, and he always wanted Percy's money so he could gamble and smoke cigars, right. and he wanted Sally to make him a meatloaf or a bean dip. But I don't know. He's just killed. That's just. I mean, it, I mean, again, yeah. I don't think anyone's like. It's a bit unceremonious. Yeah, and a lot of other bad people don't necessarily get punished yeah. in the same way that he does. So, but again, very fitting for Greek mythology. Yeah. So I wonder if you know. How much? I mean, how much do we read into myth into the you know Percy Jackson? Do we? I mean, I was, was going to ask you for over over analyzing, and I know we are, but it's 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 kind of cool because on the one hand, you know, you read it and you've just got this little episode where it's Medusa, and as you say, I mean, she's one of the most iconic, easily recognizable um, figures from Greek mythology, and so it's you know, you're you know in fifth grade or whatever and you're reading this book and you're like oh yeah i know who medusa is cool right i mean you see you see it coming a mile away in the book and I, i'm sure most readers even in you know middle grade readers see it coming because you're like oh here's this creepy location where there are all these statues and some of them look familiar and you're like oh we know who lives here um but it's cool though that like there are these other you know bits of the story yeah. you know the sort of this this I don't want to call it a proto myth, but it's a very you know classic uh, hero story, quest story. Um, we get them throughout the book, right. and I'm excited to you know going forward. We're going to talk about some of the other books um, in the the Percy Jackson in the Olympian series, of which there's a new book that just came out um, where he goes to college, which I I bought but I haven't read. But I, I wonder if we're going to see the same sort of. I mean, is this a thematic thing? I mean, is it, is it just like, oh, here's like mythic stuff, and that mythic stuff happens to be Perseus, or do you think it's intentional that, that there's like this 
sort of core of Medusa Perseus myth because it's Perseus Jackson. For sure in the first book. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder going forward. And I think, uh, you know, the Perseus myth is interesting because it's different than a lot of other myths because I don't think we have like a singular source that's fully focused on him like we do for heroes like Achilles and Odysseus and Jason and these other great heroes. Like Perseus is a little bit more kind of spread out and like a story that was like well known by everyone in antiquity, but that we don't have a single source where like this is the story of Perseus. Um, And so I think there is also that, that, that piece where you have to cobble together the mythology um, from our perspective in our time and our place. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because again, the story of Medusa and the figure of Medusa has been reinterpreted so many different times, so many different ways in different places. Um, you know, from sushi rolls to Dante to Freud to Versace, not in that order. Um, (laughs) but you know, there, there's this feminist reading where Medusa is, I mean, she's the victim of a patriarchal society, Mm -hmm. right? Where female sexuality has been demonized and monsterized or, you mean to this monstrosity. And, um, I think that's an interesting reading. I mean, you can, even the whole idea of looking at a, a curved surface, a mirror, Right. When you look at a mirror, you know, women looking in the mirror see this monster. Um, and, you know, this, this feminist reading has, has argued that Medusa is not this monster. Right. If you actually just look at her, she's, you know, beautiful and happy and laughing. But we've created this, this image. Um, but there's another reading that my students ask me about. And I, I don't know where this originated, but it's something I think I, think I can connect back to Percy Jackson, which makes it pertinent. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll, I want your take on this, Sam. Yeah. So a lot of my students ask, you know, when we talk about the story of Medusa, um, in, 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 in class, you know, is this, is there a possibility that Medusa was turned into a monster by Athena to protect her, right? She's, you know, the victim of sexual assault, um, is Athena, right? This female goddess, is she trying to help this woman, right? Is she, you know, is it this, you know, one woman looking out for another, protecting her, right? Now she's she's gone from being this powerless victim to being this powerful man killer, right? She kills with her gaze. Mm-hmm. You can't approach her unless you're Perseus. Um, what do you, I mean, what do you make of that? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, from what I know of the gods, that's probably not a correct reading of the sort of motives that they have. You know, we've talked before that the gods don't care much for most mortals. They have their favorite heroes. They have their children. But other than that, they're not particularly concerned. And of all all of the, the female goddesses, Athena is the least feminine. I did remember that she is one of the three goddesses with the golden apples, with the golden apple that says to the fairest, right? So she is somewhat concerned with her. She not? Is no, I don't think so. No. I thought she was. No, I think it's. No, no, you're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. So, so you know, the, the I judgment said, of Paris. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. The judgment of Paris earlier. I had said, you know, I couldn't think of an example where she does care about her looks, but there, there is this 
somewhat concerned. But you know, she's she's born from Zeus. She really doesn't have a mom. She kind of does through Metis, but not really. Like she is the most masculine woman in Greek mythology. And so to see her as being concerned about women, I think is a false reading. And also I think, you know, related to this idea of, you know, virginity, like it is also this kind of reinforcement of the patriarchy is a lot of kind of the role that she serves kind of in the abstract in Greek mythology. So, you know, that's my reaction. And I don't know. Also thinking about, I think it would be hard to justify that what she does to Medusa is in any way a gift because she lives in isolation and can't have any sort of relationship outside of her family. It is this kind of imprisonment again, right? She has all of this tremendous power, but also as a result, she can have no other, she can't have any connections either. Right. And so it, uh, it's uh, to me, it seems hard to read that as a, any sort of like gift. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, <clears throat> and I say that much to my students that it, it's not always received well. Um, sure. Because yeah, I mean, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's a couple of problems there. I mean, I think the, well, there's yeah, three problems. You hit them all. You did the triple nail, <laughs> nail on the I did head. The triple, triple crown. The triple crown. Um, yeah. I mean, Athena is, the least feminine of the gods. And I think that's tied to her virginity. Um, Cause I, you know, without going into it too much, I think when you sort of break normal expected sexual expectations, you sort of break gender molds. She's the least feminine of the goddesses. Um, and so to look for her for sympathy for another woman, uh, I don't think that's there, but I think the the big issue is the, just the idea of the gods generally. Right, and it, this is where I can, I think, tie it back to Percy Jackson, because we get this this version of the Greek gods who are loving or capable of love, who have connections to mortals, who are literally, you know, parent figures. Right. Right. Um, I don't think that's right. I think the word God, you know, calling them gods, I think that sort of complicates things, because you know a lot of us are in this you know, Western Judeo-Christian world and God means something different. Sure. Um, these aren't loving, caring beings. I mean, they're, they're beings that sort of coexist with humans. They don't create humans probably. They just sort of coexist. We're here. Or they're there. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for a God or a goddess to care. And they also don't have to be consistent. That's the other thing. You know, they don't have to be consistent. They don't have to be just. They don't have to be loving. And so I think for, you know, to conceive of, you know, a female goddess seeing any sort of sisterhood with a, a, a female mortal, I think that is not the way that the gods or the Greeks would have seen the gods. No. Yeah. But I think it's cool. I mean, I like the reading. I like that interpretation. And I think, yeah, and I think this speaks to the fact that the way we read myth changes. And again, there's not one version. Like, if we want to talk about how did the Greeks understand the myth, that's one thing. You know, but I think it's an entirely different thing to say, if we want to keep this myth, what does it mean to us today? And the meaning can change. And I think the feminist reading is quite compelling. Because what what did Medusa do 
in any of the mythology. She was born a monster in Hesiod's version or, um, you know, suffered sexual violence through no fault of her own and is punished. Right. And this is a common thing that, you know, ancient writers do, right. Is they, they blame the women who are raped for, for that happening to them, which is obviously something that we, we wouldn't want to do today and we shouldn't do today. And that I think changes our, our, how we want to read Medusa. Um, and so I think, yeah, as a new reading, I find it compelling. It of course, isn't the reading that the Greeks or the Romans had though. Right. And I think that's the, you know, the, the powerful thing about myth and also about literature is that you can read it in a multiple, you know, you can read it as, you know, how did, Hesiod think of this myth. And and as we've discussed, I think Hesiod is going to think about the myth um, writing in the archaic age in Greece differently than Ovid's going to think about the myth writing in, you know, the turn of the millennium Rome, which is different than um, Apollonius of Rhodes, um, who touches on the story of Medu- Medusa in uh, his Ap- Argonautica um, in Egypt, right, in the Hellenistic period. That's going to be different than someone in Colorado in 2023. Right. Um, and they're all valid, right? I mean, when you, when you engage with myth, when you engage with literature, you, it, it's compelling because you can see a reflection of your society, of your situation, of your character. I mean, you can see things that are not there as they were written by the author. Um, but, but both are important and valid. Um, but I think it is, I think it is also worth noting that, you know, this is not how the Greeks probably would have conceived of this story. Right. Exactly. So if you want to be accurate to, to a time and a culture, there's certain ways we can talk about it. But again, as a myth, you know, myth is meant to help us make sense of the world around us. And if we're trying to make sense of our world today, we, we have to read Medusa differently. I think we can't have the same reading as the Greeks. We shouldn't. And, and that's right. Absolutely. Well, is that maybe a good place to call it? Do you uh, have any other thoughts on Medusa? I don't have any other thoughts on Medusa, but dear dear listener, why don't you leave us five stars? Why don't you review this podcast? Why don't you Why don't you send us an email to allroadspod at gmail dot com? Let us know what you want to talk about. Let us know what we missed. Again, I'm sure I'm sure you have strong feelings about the Medusa myth. I'm sure there are things we got wrong or skipped over that you want us to think about. Let us know that you know. So please send us a message. Let us know what you think of the podcast. And thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.